Good morning. Um, today's scripture comes from John 1, 19 through 28. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the word of the Lord. It's a little chilly in here this morning, isn't it? It's wonderful. Glad you brought jackets and shawls. Well, we're in the second week of a year-long study of Jesus. We can uh, think Jesus 2020 uh, for this series. If you were here last year at Grace, you know we took a tour through the whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It was a great overview of the whole story of God and a real big picture. We saw God's powerful and glorious creation, mankind's rebellion and fall into sin, the redemption that came through Jesus Christ, and then we ended with the book of Revelation which points us toward the consummation of all things, God's new creation where our sin has been dealt with and God's people will have unending, uninterrupted fellowship with Him forever. It's a, it's a huge, dramatic, wonderful story. And in 2019, we just scratched the surface of it. But in 2020, we're going to hone in on the star of the show the one whose first coming was greatly anticipated and longed for, and whose second coming ought to be our hope and cry today. Come, Lord Jesus. God in human flesh, the man Christ Jesus, that's who we will fix our attention on in every single sermon this year. If you're not there yet, turn in the Gospel of John to chapter 1. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. If you don't know where that is in your Bible, just ask someone next to you. They'd be happy to help. John, like the other gospel writers, he writes what he does in his gospel so that people will, this is John 20, 31, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they would have life in his name. So Christ, believe that Jesus is the Christ, Christ is not a name. It's not supposed to be used as a swear word. It's a title. It's a Greek word. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one. Israel's kings, Saul and David, for instance, they were anointed ones, anointed to serve the people of God. But there's one coming. This is the testimony of the Hebrew scriptures. There's one coming who is the anointed one one whose reign would never end, one who would be filled with the Spirit of God, and unlike those other kings, the Spirit would never leave him. The Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, he would lead and teach and save God's people once and for all 
So, of course, people looked for him and longed for him. A great king, a great deliverer, one who, when he came to power, would never be defeated and would always rule. Do you know how good that sounds to a people who, for much of their history, have been oppressed and harshly ruled by foreign powers? It sounds good, really good. Uh, Just quickly, let's consider the history of oppression for the Jews. For 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt, right? The Lord delivered them. That's called the Exodus, but their oppression continued. In the 8th century BC, the Assyrians came from a foreign land and dragged them out of their homes, took them out, and, and made them live in a foreign land under foreign laws. It was incredibly difficult for the people of God. A couple centuries later, it was the Babylonians' turn to do the same. A little later, the Persians got in the action. Then it was the Greeks. By the first uh, time the first century rolls around and John the Baptist is on the scene, it's the Romans. No surprise then, given their history, that the nation of Israel would be longing for their Messiah, for one to come and finally be their king and deliver them from all this oppression. Come thou long expected Jesus, right? That was the cry of their heart. O come, O come, Emmanuel, be God with us. And no doubt they wondered things like, will the Messiah come in my lifetime? Could this be the year? Could today be the day? People had high hopes, didn't they? Even though a lot of false messiahs came pretending to be the one and then gathering uh, followers, but then crashing and burning, even though that happened, the people maintained their high hopes because the scriptures, God's word, said the messiah was coming. And they really needed it to be true, too. What else is going to change things? That's the religious climate in Israel in the first century when John the Baptist began baptizing in the River Jordan. People were looking for the Messiah. They're looking for signs of his coming, right? The scriptures mention specific people too, Elijah, who never died. You can read 2 Kings 2. He was taken to heaven. He's going to have a big part in preparing the way for the Messiah's coming. That's what the prophet Malachi says at the end of the the Old Testament canon, the last book in the Old Testament. And then there's this other figure Moses mentions in Deuteronomy 18, 15. He says, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It's to him you shall listen. So Elijah's coming first. That's what Malachi said. Then there's a prophet like Moses. Moses doesn't lie. When the Christ comes, we'll know it because important people will be on the scene and big things, no doubt unusual things will be happening Unusual things like some half-crazed guy screaming about repentance, baptizing Jews in the Jordan River. John's baptism was wildly popular, but it also would have been very uh, notable or even strange for at least a couple reasons. One, those being baptized were Jewish. We might ask, why would that be odd? Well, it's because baptism, the kind common in the first century, was for non-Jews who wanted to enter the people of God to become part of God's people, Israel. If you're outside the people of God, a Gentile sinner, a Greek, a Samaritan, anyone other than a Jew, you'd get baptized, and that would bring you into the people of God. But John is baptizing Jews, and that would have been highly offensive to those who thought they were already in 
the people of God simply because they were Jewish. John's baptism of Jews is saying it's not enough to have Abraham as your father. It's not enough to be Jewish. There's a new definition for the people of God, and it has everything to do with the coming one, the Messiah, Jesus, receiving him. That's the first thing that made John's baptism notable. He's baptizing Jews. The other thing is that John was doing the baptizing. So baptism in the first century, when John came on the scene, it was for non-Jews, and it was also self-administered. That changes later on. We see that in the book of Acts. But at this point, when John comes baptizing, no one baptized you. You dunked yourself. So not only are Jews being baptized, John is baptizing them. Very unusual. This might have signaled some that he was special, had God given authority to do some special work. And they would have thought, is this an end time uh, rite administered by an end time prophet? What are we seeing here? Who is this John figure that looks and sounds like one's prophets from our past? We better go find out, right? That's what they thought. So this delegation comes from Jerusalem, these religious leaders who want to poke around and ask questions and figure out what's happening. And they ask John in John 1.19, look with me there in your Bible, John 1.19. They start with, who are you? And uh, right away he tells them who he's not. He says, I'm not the Christ. Uh, what then? Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. Notice how his responses keep getting shorter. I'm not the Christ. I am not. No. I think if they would have asked him one more time, he would have just looked at him and been like, shake his head. Now, John the Baptist, no doubt, a very important person. Jesus says in Luke's gospel, among those born of women, none is greater than John. He's more than a prophet. John is special, right? No other prophet has the unique privilege of, of John to be the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who got to announce his coming while still living. These other prophets, they, they talk about the Messiah's coming, but like way out there, way down the road, someday he'll come. But John got to point with his finger and say, he did come and there he is, right? In verses 29 and 36, Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You got to see him with his eyes. He knew Jesus, and he knew Jesus was the Christ. How did he know? Because the one who sent him to baptize the Lord told him what to look for. Right? When John baptized Jesus, and you can read that in Matthew 3, Jesus comes out of the water and the Spirit descends and remains on him. And God had told John, when you see that happen, whoever that happens to, that's him. That's the Messiah. So John knew the person, Jesus, his relative, all his life. But he didn't know that this relative of his was the Christ until that happened. Until the Spirit descended and remained on him. Then he knew that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Lamb of God, that he's the coming one. He would say him and no one else, him, he's it, and therefore not me. I am not the Christ. It's not that John has nothing important to do. It's not that we have nothing important to do. It's that we know our place. 
John 1, 6 to 8 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. This is talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light. See, John knew he had a job to do, but was very clear what that was. He knew that Jesus was the Christ, and therefore his life was to be ordered around that, so that Jesus would shine, not John. Right? Hopefully this is a really helpful uh, metaphor for us. John was a lamp Jesus is the light. You and I are to be lamps, but only Jesus is the light. John knew his place. It was to hold out, to prop up Jesus. Only Jesus is an acceptable sacrifice. The Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. Only Jesus can do something about sin. Who takes away the sin of the world? Only Jesus is the Christ. So the religious leaders, you're not the Christ, I am not the Christ, nor Elijah, I'm not, nor the prophet, nope. Who are you then? Obviously, you're someone important. You look like a prophet, you sound like a prophet, you're, you're baptizing people, you're screaming, they're all coming out to you, something's going on with you. This isn't normal. Who are you? And I, I love John's response. It's like they've been hanging out with, with Jesus or familiar with him, how he doesn't directly answer questions. You know how that about Jesus? People ask him questions, and he's like, well, what do you mean? Or, well, how about this? How about a story? They ask him, who are you? And he doesn't say, well, I'm John. You know, Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, a relative of Jesus, the Messiah. I've been assigned an important task of preparing others for his coming. He doesn't say that. His own person seems to fall out of the picture completely as he quotes Isaiah 40 and basically says, I'm not important, but what I have to say is. Look at verse 23. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So in Isaiah uh, chapters 40 to 66, which you might have read in the year of the Bible uh, last year, Uh, We're told of someone called the servant of the Lord, and this servant's coming is announced in Isaiah 40. This servant, we're told, will suffer and die, purchasing a great redemption. That's Isaiah 52 and 53. And that redemption, in the end, climaxes with a new heaven and a new earth, like we saw in Revelation 21, 22. Isaiah 65, 66. That's how that book ends. Isaiah like the rest of the scriptures, points to the Messiah, who he would be, what he would do. Isaiah is a preview of the coming of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist is a voice or a messenger who prepares the way for a coming servant king, the servant of the Lord. That servant king, Jesus, who will accomplish a great redemption by his own suffering and death. That servant, King Jesus, who both died and rose again and will make all things new, new heaven, new earth. This is the story of Jesus prophesied by Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus was born. John is great, no doubt. Jesus is so much greater. John is a voice. Jesus is the word of God he speaks about Tell us more, John. Keep going. 
Well, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandals, he says. Verse 27. That job untying sandal straps was reserved for slaves. And John's saying, I'm lower than a slave compared to Jesus. John says elsewhere, he must increase, I must decrease. I baptize with water, but the one who's coming after me, the Messiah, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, this shows how far superior the Messiah is to the messenger. I can pour water, I can pour this symbol on you, and that's important, but only Jesus can cleanse your heart. Only Jesus can wash over you fill you with the presence of God. Only Jesus can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's greater than me. He's greater in every way. I'm not the Christ. Verses 19 to 28, which we heard read, that is the, the big message. I am not the Christ. But what we read in the, what follows, 29 to 51, once that's been cleared up, I'm not the Christ, then he turns to this big announcement why this gospel was written, why John, God gave John his mouth, why God gives us our mouths to call attention to Jesus and proclaim for all to hear our great hope. But Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. I am not the Christ. Jesus, however, is the Christ, and he has come. I am a lamp, but Jesus is the light, and he's come to light up everything. The day after his encounter with the religious leaders, John sees Jesus coming, verse 29, and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in John's preaching, verse 30 tells us, he'd been saying, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, if you read the Gospel of Luke in our year of the Bible, chronologically speaking, John's birth was, was before the birth of Jesus. Elizabeth, six months pregnant with John before her relative Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus. John knows this. Luke's gospel tells us this. He's not talking about chronological age. I was before John. He's affirming what he said in the earlier part of chapter 1 of John, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, God of very God, who's always existed, but humbled himself to become a man, the man who John is now pointing to and saying, behold, there he is. After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. It's similar to Jesus in John 8 when he says to the religious leaders, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. Not because he was bad at math. It's because they understood what he was saying. What John is saying about Jesus. That Jesus is greater than me, John says. Jesus is before me. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Verse 34, he says, I've seen and bore witness and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John he puts his money where his mouth is. He lives out his theology. He doesn't just say Jesus is the Christ, but he points people away from himself and to Jesus. 
He must increase, I must decrease. Verse 35 says, the next day John's standing with two of his disciples, and he he looked as Jesus walked by, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples that were with him, they followed after Jesus. And it would have been unusual for disciples to leave their own rabbi to go after another rabbi, but that's exactly what John desired for them, because he knew what? That Jesus is the Christ. I'm not the Christ, but Jesus is. He's all about pointing people to Jesus. And notice what happens when people come in contact with Jesus. John says to his two disciples, Andrew, who were given his name, and probably John himself. He writes anonymously about himself quite a bit in his gospel. John the Baptist says to two disciples, Andrew, and we'll say John, there's the lamb, and they leave him, their rabbi, to follow Jesus. They spend time with Jesus. Not surprisingly, they're changed by their encounter with Jesus. Shortly after, Andrew finds his brother Simon, and he says to him in verse 41, we've found the Messiah. He then brings Simon to Jesus. By the way, every time Andrew's named throughout the rest of the gospel, he's either bringing people to Jesus or or telling people about Jesus. What a great testimony. God willing, we'd all be Andrew's. So Andrew finds Simon, brings him to Jesus. And Jesus, who will change Simon's life in ways he can't possibly imagine right now, he starts by changing his name. And he says in verse 42, you are Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And that word, Cephas, Peter, means rock. And we see something here of the authority of Jesus, something that that John, the author of the gospel, is emphasizing throughout. Jesus has authority to rename people just like Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. Remember when Abram was renamed Abraham, Sarai was renamed Sarah, Jacob was renamed Israel. Now Jesus looks at Simon with that same name-changing authority as the Lord Yahweh and says, now you're Peter. You're a rock. And you might not see that now, and there's going to be a lot of evidence to the contrary in your life, but I will make you what I've called you to be. Here in Judea, where John's baptizing, John points Andrew to Jesus. Andrew tells Peter. Peter's going to go on in the book of Acts to tell a whole lot more people like links on a chain, the testimony of Jesus. It moves from one person to the other. Throughout history, throughout neighborhoods, maybe in your family, if you're a Christian, you're the beneficiary of many others carrying the testimony of Jesus from one person to another to another to you. And I hope you've had the joy or will in 2020 of playing that same role, introducing people to Jesus. Have you heard that saying, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still tying its shoes? That's very true, but the gospel is doing a pretty good job here in John 1. The next day, verse 43 says, Jesus decided to go north to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And he does. So in Galilee, Philip meets Jesus, apparently is convinced Jesus is the Christ. He then goes out, verse 45, finds Nathanael, 
and says, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael is unsure, but after Philip brings him to Jesus and he encounters Jesus for himself, his doubt is gone. And it, it didn't take a whole lot, humanly speaking. Jesus told Nathanael he saw him under a fig tree earlier in the day before Philip brought him to Jesus. And Nathanael's just thinking, impossible, unless he's the Messiah. That's all Nathanael needed. Verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You are the Christ, because you knew I was under that fig tree. That's all it took, Nathanael? You're going to see a lot more than that, Jesus says to him. Verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When these Jews hear Jesus talk about heaven being opened and the angels of God going up and down, they'd immediately think of Jacob, the father of their nation, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and his dream recorded in Genesis 28. At an important time in his life, Jacob has a dream and in that dream, there's a ladder set up on earth that reaches into the heavens. And the angels of God are going up and down on this ladder. And the point is, God is with Jacob. That's what God was saying to Jacob. I'm with you. We're connected. There's a link between heaven and earth. And this ladder is a symbol of that. So what is Jesus then saying here in verse 51 with that reference? He's saying, no need to dream anymore. Reality is here. I am the link between heaven and earth. I am the promise that God is with you, dwelling with you. Looking to Jacob and his ladder is no longer needed. Look to me. Listen to me. Jacob was a lamp. Jesus is the light. The nation of Israel was a lamp. Jesus is the light. Friends, you and I, we are simply lamps. But Jesus, he's the light. I am not the Christ, but Jesus is the Christ, and he has come. We probably need to say that together, don't we, that I am not the Christ part. Let's say that together. I am not the Christ. Does anyone need to say it more? Uh, yeah. I am not the Christ. Do you believe that? I do. I believe it. I believe I'm not the Christ, but Jesus is, and he has come. But what am I doing with it? Right? What will we do with what we've heard this morning? What will we do with what we say we believe? Will it translate into action in our lives? Will we, like John, point people away from us and to Jesus in 2020? The way this happens so often is not uh, some big rally or campaign, though those can be great. It's not praying that God would give you the gift of evangelism, though if he has, please use it. Typically, the way this happens, the way we live this out, it's in everyday relationships, isn't it? It's person to person. It's you just being you wherever you are for Jesus. That's what it is. Andrew brought his brother Simon to Jesus. Philip brought his friend Nathaniel to Jesus. If you're a Christian, someone brought you to Jesus. Parents, bring your children to Jesus. 
Don't be content to have well-behaved children who grow up, get good jobs, and meaningfully contribute to society. That's not enough. Introduce them to Jesus. Tell them when they're young and when they're adolescent and when they're old how Jesus has changed your life. Pray for them to know him, to love him, to follow him all the days of their lives. I know this can be intimidating, this parenting evangelism, we could say, this sharing of your faith with anyone, it can be intimidating. We, we ask, what if I mess it up, right? What if you're asked questions and you don't have the answers? Uh, it, does the world really need another hypocrite, right? You might be thinking, I, I have an imperfect life. Am I even fit to tell others what they should believe, who they should follow with their whole life? Do you know what can put us at ease and really help when it comes to all those challenges, all those objections? To remember what John says to those who come to him and ask, who are you? I am not the Christ. That frees us from thinking that if people are going to be changed, we have to change them. We can't. It frees us from the idea that we must fix people, save people, set them straight, or have all the answers they seek. We can't. We won't. I am not the Christ. Know that. Print it up somewhere and look at it and say it every morning if you need to. Believe it. Live it. But don't forget it. Jesus is the Christ. Don't forget that either. I am not the Christ, but Jesus is the Christ, and he has come. He's come to save you, to forgive you of all your sins, to give meaning to your life, to change our world, to know these things, that I'm not, but he is. That ought to humble us and give us hope. So know who you are, which is not the Christ and point people to Jesus who is. Maybe uh, 2019 was another year of you trying to fix yourself, save yourself, or set yourself straight. Or you were trying to have that role in somebody else's life. You know, another uh, self-improvement project year that failed. And if that's, if you're thinking what I really need to do is just double down in 2020, let me tell you, I, I think God would say this to you, right to you, give it up. Give it up. It's not going to happen. You can't do it. You can't do it, but Jesus can, and he's done everything we need. Receive him today. The gospel was written, the gospel of John he says it clearly. And this sermon, Lord willing, has been preached. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. Let's pray together. God, you are good, and we thank you that you are who you are, and we are who we are. And how incredible to know ourselves, to be able to say and pray what we prayed earlier in the service, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. To be able to call you Father is truly incredible. We are your sons by adoption, by faith, but you have a son who has been your son 
for eternity. Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, we are not him. We can't save anyone, we can't save ourselves, but he can and he's willing and able to, to receive to himself everyone who calls on his name to be saved today. So I pray that people here this morning that don't know you, Father, you good, good Father, through faith in Jesus would turn from self, turn from their efforts to fix themselves, to save themselves, to be better, to do better, to do better in 2020 than they did in 2019, and they were trying to do better in 2019 than they did in 2018. That never works. Humble us all this morning to come to Jesus and do for each of our hearts what we need. God, we trust you this morning. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.